On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, as we get ready for week nine of the NFL season, we'll have a conversation with three-time Super Bowl champion Darren Woodson. We'll also be joined by NFL ESPN researcher Evan Kaplan, who breaks down some unbelievable matchups this upcoming week. And we'll revisit a conversation with the NFL's new all-time leading scorer, Adam Vinatieri, who joined us last summer for some insight on what the scoring record would mean to him. But first, an incredibly busy week in the NFL. It started Monday in Cleveland with the firing of head coach Hugh Jackson and led into the Tuesday trade deadline with a flurry of moves across the league. So let's offer some thoughts on each of the moves that unfolded here over the last 48 hours in the NFL, starting with Cleveland. This really was destined to happen. From the moment that the Browns owners, Dee and Jimmy Haslam, matched John Dorsey, the new general manager, with their old head coach, Hugh Jackson, it was destined to fail. And it did finally on Monday when the Browns released Hugh Jackson with time left on his contract this season and next season. So the Browns will be paying him through 2019, but it will give John Dorsey and Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf in the Browns front office the chance to go hire their own head coach. They are first in the pool this year. They get to start looking for and interviewing coaching candidates right now. If they want to go talk to Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, they can go do that. If they want to go talk to any other college coach, they can go do that. They don't have to hide behind anything right now. The Browns are the first out for a coaching search. And then, of course, they make the change in offensive coordinator, firing Todd Haley and bringing in Freddie Kitchens, who doesn't have extensive experience running an NFL offense. So it'll be interesting to see how Kitchens calls plays starting Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. And so the Cleveland Browns are the first team to overhaul their coaching staff. But the real changes came Tuesday with a flurry of moves that made this one of the busiest trade deadline days in NFL history. Last year was very busy because at the last moment, in the 24 hours leading up to the deadline, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo traded from New England to San Francisco. Jay Ajayi traded from Miami to Philadelphia. Dwayne Brown from Houston to Seattle. Marcel Darius from Buffalo to Jacksonville. And... Kelvin Benjamin going from Carolina to Buffalo. And the almost trade of A.J. McCarron from Cincinnati to Cleveland that got foiled when the Browns could not get the deal done in time by the 4 o'clock deadline. By the 4 o'clock deadline this year, there was no such thing holding back a flurry of moves. We saw Denver trade Pro Bowl wide receiver Demarius Thomas and a 7th round pick to the Houston Texans for a 4th and seventh round pick as well. The interesting part of that trade is that Thomas's first game with the Texans will come Sunday in Denver against the Broncos team that just traded him. Thomas was the longest tenured Bronco, and yet the Broncos said goodbye to him because really they weren't going to keep his $14 million salary around next season. In my mind, the most surprising move right before the deadline came when Detroit traded Golden Tate to Philadelphia for a third round pick. So many teams had made so many inquiries to the Lions about Golden Tate, but they had resisted all overtures for him. But finally, they broke down and dealt Tate to the Eagles, who for the second straight year made a trade right at the deadline. Last year, Jai, this year, Tate, as they look to try to keep up with the rest of the NFC East. Another team in the NFC East making moves, the Washington Redskins, 
who traded a fourth-round pick to Green Bay for former Packers safety HaHa Clinton Dix, who also is on an expiring contract like Golden Tate. So basically, the Redskins and Eagles bringing in rent of players that they can hope to re-sign, but there are no assurances that they re-sign them. Another trade that was made on Tuesday, the Packers traded Ty Montgomery to the Baltimore Ravens for a seventh-round pick in the 2020 draft. And the fact that the compensation is so low, and in 2020, tells you how badly the Packers wanted to move on from Montgomery, who fumbled his last play with the Green Bay Packers, that kickoff that denied Aaron Rodgers the chance to have the football to try to beat the Los Angeles Rams. Speaking of the Rams, they made a bold move on Tuesday themselves, trading a 2019 third-round pick and a 2020 fifth-round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars for defensive end Dante Fowler, who was once the third overall pick in the draft. Now, the Rams felt that their one weakness was at pass rush, an edge rusher, and so they did whatever they could to try to address that before the trade deadline. The Rams recognize they have a chance to do something historic this year, and that historic run involves chasing history, chasing an unbeaten record, home field advantage, and possibly bringing Los Angeles a Super Bowl title, which is down the line. The hope and expectation is that Dante Fowler will come in and compliment Aaron Donald and Endomic and Sue and all the players up front to help them get as far as they can this season. Other news Tuesday, Le'Veon Bell still a no-show in Pittsburgh, which means he cannot and will not be traded this season. And the only team that Le'Veon Bell now can play for is the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we can quit this talk about Le'Veon Bell being traded anywhere else. He's not. The only question now is when he actually shows up in Pittsburgh, when he's ready to play in a game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And when he does, frankly, uh, how much playing time he's going to get with James Conner, who has come on and seized that role and really demonstrated that he is up to the challenge of being Pittsburgh's starting running back. So, again, a flurry of news. And I think that part of the reason we're getting all this news is the trade deadline has been pushed back later than it was in other years. The general managers are younger and more aggressive and bolder than ever before. Teams are trying to keep up with each other. Teams are desperate to make moves. They recognize they have to win now or they won't get to keep their jobs in many cases. And so this combination of different circumstances has turned what used to be a very quiet day in the NFL, the trade deadline, into one of the single busiest days of the year. It was that way Tuesday, and I would imagine it will be that way for years to come. And now, without further ado, we bring in my friend, the former Cowboys Pro Bowl safety, three-time Super Bowl champion, ESPN analyst, Darren Woodson. And Darren, we thought it would be great to speak with you today with everything going on in the NFC East, with your Cowboys going out and trading a first-round pick for Amari Cooper, with the Redskins going out and trading a fourth-round pick for HaHa Clinton Dix, who plays the position you did, the New York Giants unloading players, the Philadelphia Eagles going out and trading Golden Tate. But we're going to start with the Dallas Cowboys. When they traded the first-round pick for Amari Cooper, what was your reaction? A surprise. Surprise in the sense of that the Cowboys would be that aggressive in the fact that, and listen, everyone has known that they they probably have uh, the, the, the most number twos and number threes type of receivers in the league. And, and that's been the case for a while. But, you know, even letting Dez go last year, they felt like they needed to grow as, as an organization. They brought in another the new wide receivers coach. They felt like they could grow within themselves as far as the draft. They brought in 
uh, you know, Hearns, they brought in some guys from the outside, you know, Tavon Austin. But they wanted to grow in, within themselves, their, their system as far as route running, being more precise in what they're doing. And when they let Dez go, they said that their first thing out of Jerry's mouth was, hey, we want a wide receiver by committee. We don't have to have a number one like a Dez Bryant. We're going to have a, you know, we're going to run this by committee, uh, do somewhat like, like some of the offenses that are out there, in particular the New England Patriots. And, and that's how we're going to go about our business. And I think as time has gone on, they, find, they found out through this process. And, and you, you know Jerry is forever the optimist, so you know this is a big deal. So Jerry has been optimistic about these wide receivers, but it, it, at some point through this process they figured out, especially after the Redskins game, that they need a guy that can open things up. Because what they're getting are nine-man, eight, nine, ten-man fronts in the box that are focused on stopping Ezekiel Elliott. That's been the case because they don't have a wide receiver who can create separation a wide receiver who can win one-on-one battles, and that's what they needed. And I, I, I'm sure this this came from, not from Jerry, this came from the coaching staff. They needed a guy that could win those battles on the outside or loosen things up um, and put this offense. And Jerry went out there and pulled the trigger on, on going to get Amari Cooper. It was surprised to me that they went ahead at this time of the year, they went ahead and made that decision. But at the same time, I totally understand it. Just from a game plan standpoint, and watching this team, you totally understand why they made this decision. It's because they have no one on the outside. Not one receiver can win on consistently win one-on-one battles. They feel like Amari Cooper can do so. So basically, trading a first-round pick for Amari Cooper is an acknowledgement that their wide receiver by committee approach did not work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, you, you, if you ask them the question right now, they would say, oh, no, we, you know, we're going to work with our young receivers and bring him up through the system. And, you know, you know Gallup is a great receiver. And he's got, you know, a ton, of, a ton of potential. But for right now, when you look at this team, no one, there's not a wide receiver on the outside or tight end or anyone on the skill position outside Ezekiel Elliott who scares you in a one-on-one situation. No one can win consistent one-on-one battles. Amari Cooper is a kid that they looked at from the outside and said, He's a guy. They did their, their due diligence. They talked to Nick Saban and Gary and Jason Garrett is a big fan of, of Nick Saban. Uh, they did their due diligence on, on Amari Cooper. Felt like he had a lot more in the tank. Felt like he was unhappy in, in Oakland, and they can give him a fresh start here. And he's a guy. And if you talk to anyone, Adam, my office right outside. I, my office overlooks the the facility, the, the the practice facility of the Dallas Cowboys, so I can see them practice on a day to day basis. Okay. No one looks like Amari Cooper. <laughs> Nobody, huh? There's not a guy out there right now. When you when he comes out, he, you can just put him in a blank jersey. You see him run, you say, okay, that kid is different than the ones that they have out there. And he moves different. He's quick out. He's a quick burst. He, win, he, will, he will win one-on-one press at the line of scrimmage, and we all know that he can go deep. So I think that's the guy they're looking for just to back off these eight, nine, ten-man fronts. So is he practicing outside your window right now, Amari Cooper? Looking good without a no, shirt on? No, he's not practicing. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> None of that, huh? I can't see him right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's my question. Did trading for Amari Cooper bring you back at all to when Dallas went as aggressively as it did after Roy Williams, another wide receiver? Yes. Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of bad memories. And, and here's the question, Mark, that I do have for the Cowboys in, in, in doing this and going out and bringing Amari Cooper in. One of the knocks that, that has been out there about Amari Cooper is that he's not an alpha dog. Mm-hmm. He's not a guy that's going to demand the ball. He's not a guy that's going to uh, go outside of himself to be the guy, to be the number one guy. So if you're looking for a guy, if you're looking for an alpha 
like a Julio Jones or an Odell Beckham who's demonstrative and whatnot, you're not going to find that guy. He's not going to – or Dez Bryant, he's not going to be a guy that's going to be outside like calling and asking for the ball. That's one thing. That's going to be different for this organization because they're, they're used to their number one being demonstrative. Number two is the question has been how much does Amari really love the game? Yeah. That has been a question that's been out there. That's been out there from if you ask scouts, if you ask those, those with Oakland Raiders, because he's such a mild-mannered guy, because he's such a quiet kid, they feel like the passion and the love is not there for the game. So that's been that, that's a question mark. And I, for me, if that's a question mark, are you willing to give up a number one pick for a guy that you really, that's really not passionate about this game? And that would, you, I would have to deep, do a deep dive on the due diligence on this kid to know, you know, where he is mind-wise before I, you know, my, where he is as far as passion for the game, where he is as far as mindset before I give up a, a number one for a kid. Well, just shout out, shout out your window right now. No, go ask him where he's at with that. <laughs> I should. I should ask him. But again, you know, I, and I know it's, they're forever the optimist here. They feel like this is a trade that, that they won in the deal. But, you know, this, this is a kid that you can ask people with the training staff. And you always want to know. If you ever really want to know about someone, you ask the training staff. You ask the guys on the outside, the equipment guys, about the player, and they'll tell you a little bit about the player. Even you know, even the doctor. I saw the doc, one of the doctors the other day, and he said the same thing. He said, "Listen, this kid's gonna be a difference maker. They love him. They like his personality. They like how he's melt. He's, he's adjusted to the to, to the to the locker room. So they're happy about it right now. It's just about the, you know, what are we getting on the field? We still don't know until next Monday against Tennessee. Yeah. Now you know, here's the thing. We're talking an awful lot about Amari Cooper, and deservedly so. But I thought. One of the most underrated moves of the entire week, including all the trades that were made, Darren, was the Cowboys bringing back Hudson Houck as yeah. an offensive assistant. It kind of went under the radar. Now, you have worked with Hudson Houck before. You know how important somebody like that is to the Cowboys organization. What does bringing him back mean to the Dallas Cowboys? Well, it brings back a little bit of the tradition of when this organization had the, probably the best premier offensive line in the league, and that was in the 90s, and, and HUD played a, a huge role in that. And not only that, you know, you just look at Hudson Howe's career. You know, uh, Anthony Munoz, he was a part of his growing up process and his maturation process. Jackie Slater, another one, some of the best offensive tackles in the, that have ever played this game. Eric Williams, who was a big, uh, you know, probably – First round, first ballot Hall of Famer. If he wouldn't have had the car accident with the Dallas Cowboys years ago, and then you had Larry Allen, a lot of a number of guys that were very, very good football players and you know Hall of Famers. So I think that's one thing that uh, that they see in Hudson Hawk, and they see a guy that could that could come in. And if you know Hud, and if you have ever been around him, he's like a chameleon. I always, I always felt like he was a chameleon type. He can adjust to not only the older guys, but a lot of the younger players as well. And there's a lot of respect for him within this organization. And if Jerry Jones respects you, and Adam, you know this, if Jerry Jones likes you, you got a chance. Yeah. You got a chance. And Jerry and Steven absolutely love Hudson and what he can do. And there's some question marks on this offensive line. Listen, let's call it what it is. Tyron Smith is not, you know, he's not the same guy at the left tackle position. You know, he needs to get better. Uh, Zach Martin, who is, you know, just came off this big contract, and is, is a guy that's like the future at the off the guard position. He hasn't played as well. This off the line as a whole has not played as well, and they need to play up the standards. So, you know, I thought it was a good move to bring him back. I thought it was a good move to bring Colombo back, who was 
who was a big part of this offensive line, Marco Colombo, who was a huge part of this offensive line a couple of years ago when they were considered the best offensive line of football, who was the leader of that group, who was a guy that they all respected. They brought him back as well to, to really get involved and be more of a, uh, be involved in, in the day-to-day operations of these guys. So I think they want to get back to that physical style of offensive line play. Do you think that we'll see Hudson Houck's effect on Monday night against the Tennessee Titans that soon? No, I really don't. I think it's going to take some time. I think it's going to take some time for them to to, to get to the point to where um, his effect is, has been made. And and, and I think there's, a, there's, you know, it's more than just throwing, you know, Throwing out the scheme out there and saying, "Hey, you got this guy. You got this. you, you got to teach all over again." And I know one of the things that they have been doing uh, over the last couple of years, they've been catching instead of you know punching at you know punching the chest. You feel uh, off the tackle, off the guard. They stiff stand the ground. They punch in the chest area and then try to set their legs and have a slow you know and then have a you know get back slowly. Now you know this past year they've been catching, and that's going to change. I mean, Hud's a guy who's a physical coach. He's going to want them being aggressive in their running game. He's going to want them being aggressive in the fact of how they how they approach every play at practice. Uh, he's an old school guy, and, and and he's a guy that's again who's very well respected. And because of so, I think this team is going to it's going to take a while. It'll take a while for them to to adjust uh, and get to where they want to be. Now there were two other big moves made in the NFC East. The Eagles traded a third round pick for Golden Tate. And the Redskins traded a fourth-round pick for Ha-Ha Clinton Dix. Is there one of those moves that stands out to you above the others that's a winning move? I like the Golden Tate move. I, I really, you know, if you look at the Eagles and, and how they go about their business, it's about being, you know, Doug Peterson does a great job of getting his players in space. And getting them, much like the New England Patriots, find a way to get them in one-on-one situations and then they can create get the extra yard. I don't know if there's a better wide receiver out there that you, if you create a little space and you create one-on-one opportunities. I don't know if there's anybody better. It's not only in the passing game, but I'm talking about just in the quick screen game. You get him out there in one-on-one pitches, you pop the ball out there, Golden Tate will be, he, he will make you miss in space. And I think he's a great, a great fit for, for, for the Eagle team because he's a tough kid. Uh, he's a kid that will go across the middle. He's a kid that has the you know, unbelievable run after catch uh, about him. And, and he's a confident, confident football player that understand he'll understand his role within the offense. So, you know, for me, if you're an NFC East defensive back, you're concerned. You just ask the Dallas Cowboys. They saw the Detroit Lions a couple, couple of weeks ago, and Golden Tate went off on these guys and, and made a lot of big plays. And I think the, the NFC East, yeah. you know, I think the NFC East is going to, they're going to wake up a little bit knowing that. You know, this kid is going to be out there. He's, all, he's going to be another weapon for Carson Wentz in that group. And what's your assessment of what HaHa Clinton Dix will bring to Washington? Look, I, I think, you know, they played well in, in, uh, in, in spurts on the second in the secondary with uh, the Washington Redskins. I think, you know, look, as a whole, HaHa Clinton Dix is – and, hey, listen, I, this, when that trade went down, it did, what did not surprise me was that the Green Bay Packers gave him up. Because if you look at the Green Bay Packers secondary, I feel like it's, 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 it's one of the youngest secondaries as far as the corners that they have, but they are an up-and-coming group. And we just saw them against the Los Angeles Rams. And when you watch all 22, they put, they put a lot of pressure. That, that young secondary yeah. Green Bay Packers put a lot of pressure on the Rams. So I can see how they can say, okay, look, we're willing to give him up 
because we have some young guys coming up through the, through the system that we need to get on the field. Going to Washington is a situation where, I, you know, I like him. You know, who Ha Ha is, he's, a, he's an enforcer. He's a guy that can get sideline to sideline. The question for me is, you know, where does he fit in? Yeah. Where does he fit in? I'm drawing a blank on the safety, the strong safety that has had two interceptions this past week. He's played extremely well. DJ Swearinger? Uh, yeah, Swearinger's played extremely well. He had two picks this past week. But Swearinger's a guy, along with what Ha Ha Clinton did, you get two veterans back there in the back in the secondary. You've got Gordon on the, uh, on the other side. I, I've got Josh Norman on the other side. You've got some guys. That, that, that could really play the game. You get some better in football players, and I think they're set on the second, in, in the back end of their secondary for added depth for the long haul. You know, the teams in this league right now in the NFC, Washington is making, is, you know, we're seeing them up front as far as what they can do as far as the detackles, how they stop the run. Now you're getting reinforcements in the back end. This defense is really stepping up. You know, it's also interesting. Washington has become the unofficial home of Nick Saban's former players. They used a second-round <laughs> draft pick in 2017 on linebacker Ryan Anderson, yeah. a first-round pick in 2017 on Jonathan Allen, uh, HaHa Clinton Dixon, another Alabama player. Um, they like to have their Alabama players on defense, including Deron Payne, their former first-round draft pick this yeah. year out of Alabama. So Deron Payne, Ryan Anderson, Jonathan Allen, HaHa Clinton Dix. And if there's an NFL defense that Nick Saban would like to watch on Sunday, it's probably – the Washington Redskins. Yeah, and there's a defense that the Cowboys don't want to see again, and Ezekiel Elliott does, definitely doesn't want to see. It's the Washington Redskins front seven. He definitely doesn't want to see them again. They're pretty uh, good, right? They're underrated, don't you think? Yeah, very underrated. They're young. They're aggressive. They get after you at the running game, and that's the thing. You stop the run in the NFC, you've got a shot on the back end, and, and, and they do a great job of doing that. Hey, Darren, I really want to thank you for taking some time today. Uh, go back to watching the Cowboys practice. I will see you in <laughs> Bristol this week, and I appreciate you doing this on such short notice, and we're going to do it again on a more personal level uh, when we Let's dig into it. the life and times of Darren Woodson. Appreciate it, Seth. I'll see you on Thursday, brother. Thank you, Darren. All right. We'll be back in a moment with ESPN's NFL researcher, Evan Kaplan. But first, I want to tell you about Dollar Shave Club. I love that Dollar Shave Club has everything I need to look, feel, and smell my best. What I love even more is the fact that I never have to go to a store. That's because one, DSC delivers everything I need right to my door. And two, they keep me fully stocked on what I use so I don't run out. Here's how it works. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready no matter what you're getting ready for. They have you covered head to toe for your hair, skin, face. You name it, they have it. And they have this new program where they automatically keep you stocked up on the products you use. You determine what you want and when you want it, and it shows up right at your door from once a month to once every six months. That's what I do for DSC's toothpaste. My mouth feels incredibly clean since I started using it. Plus, with their handsome discount, the more you buy, the more you save. And right now, they've got a bunch of starter sets you can try for just $5, like their oral care kit. After that, the restock box ships regular-sized products at regular price. So what are you waiting for? Get your starter set for just $5 right now at dollarshaveclub.com slash AS. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash AS. Cap hit. All right, we welcome back ESPN NFL researcher Evan Kaplan for what promises to be, figures to be, really an incredible week nine. It really should be. We've got some great matchups this week, Evan. You look at the slate when the the year starts, and sometimes everything just breaks right, and this is one of those weeks. I mean, really, from top to bottom, really great games. And 
I think the two at the top of the list, of course, are the best ones. We'll get to them in a moment. But we've got the Packers playing in New England on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. That should be incredible. Yep. And then on Sunday in New Orleans, what is looking like a potential NFC championship game preview where the winner of this game really has the inside track on home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs. Yep. We have the Rams, the unbeaten Rams, playing in New Orleans against the one-loss Saints. Give me some of the historical significance surrounding the Rams-Saints matchup. So when you look at this game, it will be the highest-scoring matchup at this point in the season in NFL history. So Elias told us that it will be the first time both teams enter a game at this point in the season, averaging at least 33 points Mm -hmm. per game. The Saints are second in the NFL in scoring. Rams are just behind the Saints, obviously both behind the Chiefs. And then you look at the Rams at 8-0 coming into one of the most notorious home field advantages in the NFL in the Superdome. It's the fourth time that a team with a record of 8-0 or better will play the Saints on the road. The last time it happened was was pretty recently. In 2015, the 11-0 Panthers went into New Orleans. They ended up winning that game 41-38. So a lot of historical significance here. And the, the other thing I find interesting in terms of the Saints is you look at how they've won their last two games. They're running the ball. Drew Brees has broken all sorts of records this year, and they have shown return of Mark Ingram, Taysom Hill, obviously Alvin Kamara. This is a multi-dimensional offense. And think about that. They won in Baltimore, mm-hmm. cold weather, outdoors, nope. tough defensive team, and then they go inside mm-hmm. and win in the spot where they lost in the postseason last year to beat the two purple teams, right. the Ravens on the right. East Coast and the Vikings in the Midwest, yeah. outdoors, indoors, daytime, nighttime. I think that tells you how tough this New Orleans Saints team is. Absolutely. It's the best team the Saints have had since they won the Super Bowl. And I'll tell you something else. This summer I kept hearing how the defense in training camp yeah. is better than the offense in training camp. We know how prolific the offense has right. been. So that gives you an idea of how good this defense potentially like can be. Two takeaways, four sacks for the defense against the Vikings in Week 8. Drew Brees has thrown for 332 yards in the last two games. That that That's an average game for Brees. He's done that in two weeks. They've won both games. Pretty impressive. Now the Rams are 8-0 going into this game, Evan. And I think there's some precedent for this type of situation where there's an unbeaten team going into New Orleans in the spot that the Rams are. There is, and and we've only seen it happen three previous times uh, in NFL history. A team going into a one of the one of the more iconic home field advantages in the NFL in the Superdome. Last time it happened was 2015, the 11 and 0 Panthers. It very memorable game. They ended up winning 41 and 38. Obviously, that Panthers team ended up going on to the Super Bowl. The other times it happened were the 2012 Falcons, 1975 Vikings. You have to go way back from one of them. And if you look at an overall league significance of the Rams starting 8-0, they're the 25th team to do that in the Super Bowl era. 13 of the previous 24 reached the Super Bowl. So you look at the historical odds there, and they've got, based on what has happened in history, better than 50% chance. All right, another great game, Sunday night. The Green Bay Packers coming off a very difficult loss on mm-hmm. Sunday in Los Angeles against the Rams. They go into New England. And I don't know what it is with NBC getting these marquee <laughs> matches, but man, oh man, oh man, to get the Chiefs and Patriots in Foxborough on Sunday night and yep. now get the Packers and Patriots in Foxborough on Sunday night. You get the best quarterbacks in the game going at it head to head. What do we make of Aaron Rodgers making his 150th career start 
in his third game versus Tom Brady. Well, it's fitting that it will happen against Brady and the Patriots. Tom Brady, who has the most wins by any quarterback in their first 150 starts in the Super Bowl era, also has the most wins all time by any quarterback, so that's no surprise. Rodgers has 97 wins right now, and he could tie Peyton Manning for the fifth most through 150 starts in the Super Bowl era. And you look at these two matching up, obviously playing in different conferences. It hasn't happened a lot. This will only be the second time that Aaron Rodgers starts against the Patriots. But one game when I was going back and looking through that I found to be interesting, back in 2006, before Rodgers had ever started a game in the NFL, his second season in the league, he came on for an injured Brett Favre in a 35 nothing loss at Lambeau Field. And this will actually be Aaron Rodgers' first game in Foxborough. And the other thing that I find interesting, you look at how many times both teams have made deep playoff runs, and it's remarkable, really, that they've never met in the Super Bowl. There was a time where they both made the playoffs for eight straight years from 2009 to the 2016 seasons. Uh, but but one, one of the other team lost one of those years, so never ended up playing in the big game. All right, another great matchup this week. Steelers-Ravens, a historic matchup between the head coach and the quarterbacks there. What do we make of that one, Evan? So you look at Brady and Rodgers, quarterbacks that almost never meet. These these teams meet all the time, obviously, divisional rivals. And you look at Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger versus John Harbaugh and Joe Flacco. This will be the 16th time that those head coach-quarterback duos will meet. Elias confirmed to me that's tie, that will tie the Hall of Fame duos of Don Shula, Dan Marino, Marv Levy, wow. Jim Kelly for the most in the Super Bowl era. Also interesting to look at kind of where these teams have gone since they first played. Week four, Ravens went into Pittsburgh and won since then. Baltimore is one and three. The Steelers are three and oh, and Pittsburgh mm-hmm. is now alone in first place in the AFC North. Now the Cleveland Browns who fired their head coach Hugh Jackson this week, they host the Kansas City Chiefs. And we know that the Cleveland Browns have had turmoil at the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. They get to go up against the guy that they basically traded away the rights to go draft. Right. What do we make of that one? Very interesting circumstances, certainly surrounding the 2017 draft when John Dorsey was with the Chiefs when they moved up to select Patrick Mahomes 10th overall. That was the draft where the Browns took Miles Garrett first. They were picking number 12. The Chiefs knew they had to get up ahead of a few teams to take Mahomes, who... Look, the, the the historical achievements of Patrick Mahomes in his second NFL season continue. He, he's got 26 touchdown passes. I know we always get um, a little wary of pace. With, with He's on pace to do this, but I think when you're halfway through a season, when it's eight games and all you have to do is multiply it by two, yeah. we could start talking pace. 26 touchdowns on pace for 52. Only Peyton Manning has thrown more in a single season in NFL history. And that was 55. 55 in 2013. And so the Cleveland Browns traded away basically the rights to Carson Wentz Mm -hmm. and the rights to Patrick Mahomes and bypassed Deshaun Watson. That was the pick. So they they traded that 12th pick in 2017 with the Texans who ended up taking Deshaun Watson. So they made a lot of quarterback moves here. And and they had Baker Mayfield. and, And he's looked good, but they... That's the reason they're making a coaching change, right. to save Baker Mayfield. And our last note of the day, Evan, the Los Angeles Chargers coming off a bye. Phillip Rivers gets to make a little history of his own, doesn't he? A yeah, 200th consecutive start for Phillip Rivers. He will become the fourth quarterback in NFL history to make 200 straight starts, joining Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, and Brett Favre. 
Rivers certainly uh, has been an Iron Man for the Chargers. Started every game since he first made his uh, starting debut in 2006. And you look at this game, Chargers Seahawks, two teams that we weren't talking about through the end of September. But now you look at the Chargers; they're five and two. The Seahawks are four and three and are four and one in their last five games. And I think we will. Whoever, regardless of who wins this game, I think both of these teams will continue to make noise as we go down the stretch and into November and December. Well, it should be a great week nine, Evan. Thank you very much for this information and these insights today. And we'll look forward to chatting with you again next week. Enjoy the games this weekend. All right, you too. Thanks a lot, Adam. We'll be back in a moment for my conversation with the NFL's new all-time leading scorer, Adam Vinatieri. But first, a word from ZipRecruiter. There are job sites that make you wait for the right candidates to apply to your job. Not smart. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And so last summer, we had a chance to catch up with the NFL's all-time leading scorer, Adam Vinatieri, who wasn't the leading scorer at that point in time, but we knew he would be at some point this season. And fittingly enough, he did it this past Sunday against the Oakland Raiders, the team that he had, in my mind, the single most memorable kick in NFL history against in the playoffs when he had those field goals in the snow that sent the Patriots from the divisional playoff game to the conference championship game and ultimately launched the New England dynasty. So after setting the record for the most points in NFL history, here's a portion of our talk from last summer with Colts kicker Adam Vinatieri. What would it mean to you to become the NFL's all-time leading scorer? Well, it's pretty amazing, to be honest with you. It's it's really really amazing to, to think that I've been able to play as long as I have and to be able to be on such great teams that have allowed me to score a lot of points year in and year out. Um, I remember when, you know, toward Morton's uh, end of his career when he was, you know, 20 plus years in and, and I was, a, you know, not a rookie, but I was early in my career. And I just, I just remember thinking, man, 25 years, are you kidding me? That's so long, you know, I thought, I thought there's no way, you know, you know, I figured a a decade is is more than a, a, a normal career, and you know as it as it's just kind of gone on, and years have kind of turned into decades. Um, now with it that close, I, I guess maybe a couple years ago, I thought, man, this maybe is in within striking distance. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can do her. So, you know, there's been so many great great kickers along the way before me that that I looked up to. Morton, obviously, one of them, and Gary Anderson, and and Hanson, and and Jason Elam, and I mean, there's so many great ones that that are in that list that that I really looked up to, and to be able to say that uh, you know I'm right there in the mix with them, and and maybe uh, hopefully you know we could point wise at least could could eclipse the top of the list. That would be amazing to me. I mean, that's that's an incredible record when you think about it. Like 
Nobody who's ever played the game will have scored more points than you. Nobody. I mean, who would have thought that? Somebody from Yankton, South Dakota. We're a little early on that. We'll talk about that (laughs) mid-season, hopefully. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's. I never thought I'd have played that long. Like I said, when, when, when I sat there and, and, and talked to Morton at, at the end, I was, I was a 1500 points away and I just sat there and was like, this record will never be touched, I don't think. But, you know, guys are, guys are doing a good job and scoring more points and teams are becoming even more prolific. And I think the league is becoming a little bit more offensive minded. I think the league is trying to see higher scoring games because I think fans and everybody like to see that so i think the normal amount of points that that guys are scoring is a little bit more so we'll see you know hopefully i can push this bar up high enough well it'll be tough for the next guy to pass me i think it will be i I will say this when we go back and look at your career you've made three of the most memorable kicks in nfl history super bowl 36 super bowl 38 and the 2001 divisional playoffs in the snow when you close your eyes at night adam is there one kick that stands above the others? Well, it's. I would say for sure on, on sheer difficulty, I would take that. The one that I'm the most proud of is probably the, the divisional playoff game in the snow. I mean, that's the situation that if you stacked everything against yourself that you could potentially do, we're down by three. It's the last relatively the last play of the game you oh not to mention you got six inches of snow and if you miss this kick the season's over that kind of thing i would say out of out of sheer difficult this i would say that's probably the one that i'm the most proud of but there's nothing like kicking a game-winning super bowl the super bowl and and your team being world champions i uh you know the first one of those is probably more it holds a little bit more value to me than the second time that that happened, just because it was the first time that I got to participate and being world champs with my teammates. And the fact that we were such huge underdogs, it just, everything was, that one was just something special that there's nothing that really holds a candle to that one. That's for sure in my career. Yeah. For the record, I would tell you that that kick that you made in the divisional playoffs against the Oakland Raiders in the snow that catapulted the Patriots to their first Super Bowl title that was the most incredible kick that I've ever seen in my entire NFL career, Adam. It, it was unbelievable. What stands out to you about that kick to this day? Well, you know, I think I think the game in itself was was really a crazy game. I mean, as much as it snowed, just a blizzard game. And we have a team from Oakland that comes in that that we thought, ah, they're not going to be able to handle this weather. They actually played very, very well. It was a it was a hard fought game and. And they had the lead in the, you know, in, at halftime, they had the lead going into the fourth quarter. I mean, they played very, very well. And, and I just remember it was, it was so much snow. It was, it was crazy. You couldn't see across the field, um, during the game. And, and the whole, t- my obviously, I mean, that game's probably known more for the tuck rule than anything, but, you know, the way that the, the that it all came panned out, the, how everything just kind of came to a head at the end. I just felt like um, that was the year of 9-11. We were the Patriots. We, I don't, I don't want to say we were destined, but we did have a team that, that bought into Bill Belichick's game plans and, and, and just said, you know what, we're going to do it for each other. And, and, and I've been on a lot of great teams. I've been on a lot of championship teams. But 
that team in particular felt like a family. Not not more than the other ones, but that was the first time I really felt like this group of guys totally had each other's back, and and we wanted it more for for our brothers in the same uniform than we even did for ourselves. So amazing feeling, and and like I said, I don't think. Anybody that's won a, a championship, a world championship like that, knows what I'm talking about because it's a special group of guys that come together to that 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 play like that to win a game. If you don't win that game, the New England Patriots, does the dynasty become what it went on to be? <laughs> we'll never know, will we? No, it's an interesting <laughs> I, question. No, I don't. I, yeah, I know. You, it's one of those situations. Does does. Does Tom Brady keep the job if we lose that game, or does uh, Drew Bledsoe get his starting rollback? Obviously, when when Brady continues to go through the playoffs and gets the MVP of the Super Bowl, he's he's the franchise quarterback of the future, you know, and he becomes who Tom Brady is with with Drew Bledsoe's injury earlier in the season. I mean, there's a lot of things that that kind of catapulted our team into becoming who who we were at that point, you know, and you know, I. You know, we all knew when we watched Tom practice that we're like, this kid's good. But I don't, I personally never knew that he was going to be <laughs> argumentatively the best quarterback to ever play football until, until it happened. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of great things that happened in that course of that season that catapulted that particular team into the d- dynasty that everybody knows of today. And so there he is, the NFL's all-time leading scorer, which is really an incredible feat when you think about it. And again, as we mentioned, the best kick of all time that I can remember were the kicks that he made in that divisional playoff game against the Oakland Raiders. And now he sets the all-time scoring record against the same Oakland Raiders. John Gruden's probably very tired of seeing Adam Vinatieri through the years. So a special thanks to Adam Vinatieri. Special thanks to our ESPN NFL researcher, Evan Kaplan, who did another great job breaking down this week's games And a special thanks to my friend, my colleague, the former Cowboys Super Bowl champion safety, Darren Woodson, who broke down all the moves in the NFC East and how Dallas stands to benefit from the acquisition of wide receiver Amari Cooper. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Adam Schefter Podcast. Please join us again next week. Have a great week, everybody.